Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Hope you're feeling good this morning. I can tell you one thing. The enemy didn't want this service to happen today. Our air broke in the auditorium yesterday. Uh, My iPad locked me out for three hours. We have uh, migraines represented on the worship team. So I just want you to know that the devil knows what's about to happen. And we are not going to give him a voice today. So why don't you stand with me? We get to recite Psalm 23 for a final time. This is our last Sunday in our series, A Table in Enemy Territory. We're going to read Psalm 23 together. You can say it out loud with me, and then we'll explain what's going on here in the middle of the auditorium. I promise there's a point to it all. And if you're hungry, feel free. Just come up here and grab something and make your way to your seat. It's fine. It's for you. Okay, everybody ready? Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. Amen. You guys sound awesome. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I know that just the mention of your name, Jesus, quiets the storm. The mention of your name, Jesus, brings the dead back to life. The mention of your name, Jesus, heals our broken heart. We call upon your name this morning. It's the only name worth honoring. It's the only name worth praising. It's the only name worth lifting on high. So we pray that you would be God in our midst today. Quiet the voices, quiet our hearts, quiet the enemy this morning that only you would speak and do your work. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So we've called this collection, if you're just joining us, this is week four, the final week in Psalm 23, verse by verse, a table in enemy territory. And today we finally get to talk about why we named it that. As you know, we've been talking about this every single Sunday, that there's a theme. There's a woven thread throughout all the tables, all the feasts in Scripture. And Psalm 23 is no exception. This psalm is not just a pastel bookmark in your Bible. Psalm 23 is not just a cross-stitch in your grandma's dining room. Psalm 23 is an invitation to dine in defiance to the enemy. It's a call to rest with the shepherd. 
even in the darkest of shadows, surrounded by a roaring coliseum of devils and demons, licking their chops, waiting to rip you apart, but powerless to do so. That's the setting for Psalm 23. And today we get to experience the final of three stages. We started in the green pastures, kind of a level playing field, a plain. We started there in the green pastures, and then last week we went into the valley of the shadow of death. We talked about that being a wartime trench. We talked about the fact that the shepherd takes us there to get to our purpose. And today we find ourselves at the summit. We find ourselves at the peak. We find ourselves at the end of the psalm, the mountaintop moment of Psalm 23. It's found in verse 5 and 6. It goes like this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the middle. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What do you do in the presence of a threat? What do you do in the face of danger? There's a normal scientific process for this. You probably have heard it. It's called fight or flight. When we're in the middle of a threat, when we're presented with danger, our mind goes into a a fight or flight response. And to put it very simply, I'm not going to bore you with details because I looked it up and studied it a lot, but basically your sympathetic nervous system triggers your adrenal gland to release a hormone, this is not hard, called adrenaline. Well, the nurse in the house is throwing out words I don't even understand. But just to put it very simply, I'm just going to bottom shelf it for you. The adrenal gland releases in your body adrenaline, and adrenaline is useful It's good. God made it. It does a couple of things. It raises our heart rate. It increases our blood pressure. And it increases our oxygen level. So we're, in essence, we are primed for either one of two things. We're either going to face this threat head on, right? Or we're getting the heck out of Dodge. We are flight. Any, Any fight people in the house today? Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. If you're a fight guy, raise your hand, or a fight woman, amen. All right, how many of you are flight people? Just get me out of here. I don't, want the, I don't like the confrontation. I'm looking for the fastest escape route. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you, you've experienced this moment. Um, one easy way to think of it is like if a car pulls out in traffic right in front of you and you have to slam on your brakes and say a couple words. That is your adrenaline that's your fight or flight pumping those brakes your heart rate goes up your blood pressure goes up uh, the words that come out of your mouth go up the intensity level um how about if, if you've ever been to a friend's house and you're just not kind of really familiar with the uh the animals there the livestock there might be a dog that you're that's coming off a little aggressive if y'all been to my house and you've had to face sabrina the pit bull mix. She's actually quite harmless, but she uh, she kind of presents herself in an aggressive way, doesn't she? And so we'll have to come out there, calm her down, but it's fine. I don't get any strangers. The UPS guy won't even come up there anymore. The, the Amazon driver just does, he just checks out. He's like, I'm just, it's going to be at the house down the road. It's fine. Um, but for me, okay, so 
I, I grew up in a subdivision, but when I married Alyssa and we built on family land, I ran across these things in the woods that kind of really pumped me up. They're called sweat drones. And that is my homemade terminology for them, but they, they scare the ever-loving bejesus out of me. It's like, I don't know what it is, but I could be on a run on the land or just walking with the family and uh, working up a sweat. And I do believe, it's not scientifically proven, but I believe that these sweat drones pick up on my, on my scent. And all of a sudden, it's always at the same point at the bottom of the driveway, these sweat drones start swarming my head. They're not bees. No, no, no. They're not yellow jackets. I know what you're thinking. You're crazy, Jim. They're not bees. They are not yellow jackets. They are not, they are not horse flies. They are a specific, evil, satanic, flying insect that starts swarming your head. And before I realized, I had to look it up, do some research. They don't sting. They don't even bite. But I didn't know that. So the first couple of times I started running my driveway and whatever, like I would always get to this point and I would kind of slow down. Sure enough, the sweat drones start swarming my head and I book it. I mean, I am in full flight mode. There's no way to fight a fly. So I am in full flight mode. I'm booking it down the driveway. I'm sweating like crazy. And I run in the garage, close the garage door, run in the laundry room, slam the door. And my wife was like, you all right? Like, what's chasing you? You okay? And I'm like, flies. <laughs> I'm being chased by flies, but there's a lot of them and they won't give up. So the only choice is surrender. And then I understood about uh, deer flies and I looked them up and they target your head. They swarm around your head and they don't bite, but they, they are aggressive to the max. They even swarm my car when I'm going down the driveway. So me and deer flies have a very, very fragile relationship, but that is just a silly example of what happens when we go into fight or flight mode. And so when we read this morning that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you know, I would understand this better if it said you prepare a table for me in the courtyard of heaven, right? Ah, you prepare a table for me alone in our quiet place where I feel safe and secure, away from the sweat drones. You prepare a table for me in church on the weekends where I'm with my people and I, and I feel your presence and, and, and I get pumped up for the week on Sundays. And you prepare a table for me in, in the middle of worship, right? when my heart is in the right posture to, to receive and, and to lean into you. I would understand it better if it went like that, but that's not how the verse goes. It says, I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy. What's the shepherd communicating here? What's the point? What is so threatening to the enemy that the shepherd would say, I want you to come down here and die. I want you to eat of the food I've prepared for you and be still. What is threatening about that? I don't know. Last time I pulled up um, at Thanksgiving and tore to some casserole, I didn't say, all right, devil, you better back up because them rolls hit hard and I got a lot going on out here out front. Like I've never ate a meal and thought to myself, you know, Satan is really scared right now. But it says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
What is he saying? What is the point here? Why, why or what does this meal commemorate or communicate? What does this posture say? I believe it says a couple of things, and, and I'm going to do my best to use this illustration of the table set up. I know it kind of threw all you guys off, but there's a point to it. Just hang with me. And um, I believe it says a couple of things about, it, it says a couple of things to our enemy, and then it says a couple of things to us. And do you all mind if I just come down here and, and have church with you all? Okay, I'm going to come down here and just do a little preaching. Uh, but one of the things that, oh, wow, these candles are going quick. We'll have to replace these for third service. Yeah, well, we might blow them. If it gets a little wild in here, we'll blow them out. But one of the things that sitting here, dining, feasting in the presence of our enemies with the king, you know what it says? It communicates contentment instead of longing. Contentment instead of longing. Another way to say it is gratitude instead of grumbling. In other words, I can, I can look my enemy boldly in the face and say, I don't need what you have to offer. I'm good here. I'm satisfied. He's fulfilled my every longing, my every need, my every want, my every desire. I know what you have to offer, but I don't need it when I'm here. I know the temptations to come join you and, and have fun with you or join in with the criticism over here or or, or maybe give in to temptation over there. And, and I know what you have to offer, and I know how it's enticed me in the past, but when I'm here, when I'm beholding the extravagance that the shepherd laid out for me, I have no need. I have no longing. I have no desire. In reality, you know what this picture is? A, is, a, is a small representation of forever, because you know how the passage ends. The passage ends... I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is the, that is the big table. That, that's the big one. That is set up in, in the corridors of heaven away from the enemy forever. That, that, that's, the, that's the banquet style feast that's going to happen when sin itself, when Satan himself, when, when, when death itself is cast out forever. But in the meantime, throughout your Monday through Friday, you are positioned here at a feast with the shepherd who wants to fulfill every longing, every desire. He's saying, I want, I want you to dine with me. I want you to rest in my presence. I know you're in the middle of your enemies, and I love you, 10 o'clock service, but all y'all are my enemies right now. And we'll make up later after the service is over, but y'all are my enemies. You guys represent the stuff that I wasn't prepared for. You guys represent the criticism I face. You guys represent the diagnosis I wasn't ready for. You guys represent the, the, uh, the things that come out of left field that I wasn't prepared for. The enemy, the enemy, the temptations, the anxiety, the lust, the, the shame, the, the busyness, the hustle, the grind. And I'm called to sit here with a posture of rest and just dine. Just eat. Just rest. I got, I got cheese balls drizzled with honey over here. I got something chocolate. More than I could ever eat. More than it would take three services, and it has, and you see how much is still left over. Because this table represents not only contentment, 
but abundance instead of scarcity. Your enemy's always trying to get you, forever, forever, trying to convince you of a scarcity model, that Christianity doesn't have much to offer, that, oh, if you, if you just become one of those Jesus followers, it's just a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. You're never going to have fun. In fact, you're going to be miserable because you're going to have to live by that book, and it's just crazy, and nobody's ever been able to do it except for Jesus. So why in the world would you buy into that? That's, you're gonna be, that is going to be such a boring, narrow-minded lifestyle. What are you thinking? And when in reality, when we approach this table, when we trust the shepherd and, and we pull up a seat, what we realize is, no, 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 no. What he's provided is abundance, not scarcity. God never operates out of a scarcity model, a scarcity mindset. There's always more than enough. There's always too much than you can consume. It says his, his grace is overflowing. It says his mercies are new every morning. It says that there's forgiveness every day for every moment. You know what this communicates? Is that he is good, that his kingdom is provided for me in extravagance. It communicates to me that I'm not worried about tomorrow because you know what you guys do? You guys, as my enemy, just for the moment, just for the moment, Brindley, you guys as my enemy, you try to get me too worried about tomorrow to ever sit still and dine. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know how tomorrow's going to go. I don't know how this week's going to pan out. I don't know how my needs are going to be met this next week or next month, and you don't know the bills I have to pay. You don't know the medical conditions I have. You don't know the, the relationships that I have that are broken. I could never sit and dine with the shepherd. I have battles. I got battles to face. You don't get it. I got inner demons. And the shepherd's saying, I know. That's why this matters. That's why I need you at the table. That's why I provided everything, every longing, every desire. It's, it's completely satisfied and fulfilled in me. Number three, this table communicates to the enemy security instead of fear. I know who I am when I'm here. I may not have my identity locked in when I'm wandering around this world and my heart is restless and I'm pursuing all kinds of things outside of the table. But oh man, when I get alone with the shepherd in the presence of my enemies and I sit down and I dine with him and I have this posture of gratitude, I know who I am because of whose I am. And I know there was nothing I could do to earn my way to this spot. There's nothing I could have done to, to deserve this feast with the shepherd. But he says the invitation is mine on behalf of what his son did for me. I know who I am when I'm here. My identity is so secure when I'm here. But this is a mindset. This is a mentality that you have to choose every day. It's a reality it's reality whether you believe it or not, but if you want it to work for you Monday through Friday, it's a mindset. This is a mentality that you take with you saying, I am choosing to dine with the king. It's threatening. It's threatening because now the enemy has no pull on me. I don't need what you got. I'm satisfied here. Hey, I don't need the identity that you picked out for me. You know the label that you slapped on me last week? I don't need it when I'm here. When I'm here, I'm son of the king, daughter of the king. When I'm here, I've got a ring and a robe on. When I'm here, I'm, I'm royalty. The Bible actually says he anoints my head with oil. Do you know what they anointed people for in Bible times? You know it. They anointed future kings. 
they anointed those who are going to rule and reign with God. When David, the shepherd, the one who authored this psalm, he was a, anointed by Samuel the prophet, signifying that he was chosen, he was set apart, he was set aside for a specific purpose. Did you know this morning that whether you realize it or not, whether you have the mentality for it or not yet, when you dine with the shepherd of your soul, he anoints your head with oil. You are chosen, you were called out, you are protected, you've been given purpose, you've been given identity, and nothing can shake who the shepherd called you to be. David knew it. He said, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, surely goodness and mercy follow me. You know what? This table communicates to me. It, only, it doesn't only communicate to the enemy contentment and abundance and security. You know what the table communicates to me? This table represents the fact that I'm strengthened when I ought to feel weak. I ought to feel weak. You don't know how this week has beat me up. You don't know the demons and, and, and the devils in the, in the Colosseum, in the arena that I've tried to get me off course. You don't know the valleys of death, the shadow of, the, of death that I've had to walk through. You don't understand where he found me, and, and, and I wouldn't be still. I wouldn't rest, so he had to break me to make me lie down. You don't understand what I've been through to get here. So in all reality, if I ever make it to this destination, I ought to be weak, drained, stripped bare, totally destitute, totally desolate. But when I'm here, what the king says to me, what the shepherd, I'm not dining alone, by the way, he's here. This is his place. He says, I've given you strength in your weakness. Take eat, nourish yourself. I provided you everything. This is for you. I want you to be strong. In your weakness, I am made strong. Let me show out for you. You know what else it communicates? It communicates that I am, I am spoiled when I ought to feel stripped bare. He has spared no expense. I mean, this is the real, this is champagne, y'all. This isn't even communion juice. This is the real thing. This is California champagne. In other words, he spared no expense. He's not giving us the cheap stuff. He's not giving us the leftovers. He's not doling out half for you and half for me. He says, no, there's more than enough. There's more than you could ever consume. You are a spoiled son or daughter of the king. It also communicates that I'm safe when I should feel surrounded. Because I am. This table set up in the middle of the arena. So every fiber in my being may be quivering and quaking at the thought of the enemy in the grandstands, the enemy in the arena breathing down on me, threatening me, criticizing me, pulling up my past, shaming me for what I've done. And the king says, no, you're here. I'm with you. You're dining. This is an act of war. This is an act of defiance on the enemy, and you are safe. You may be surrounded, but you're safe here. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is a mindset. You know why meals are powerful? Even whenever you, whatever you do in this afternoon, Lauren, wherever you go out to eat this afternoon, whatever meal you make at the house, you know why meals are significant this morning? Meals are powerful. And this, this, this hey, if, if you dads or moms ever wanted a, a little bit of reinforcement, a little bit of ammunition for, for bringing back the family meals, here you go, I'm gonna give it to you. Meals are symbols. Meals represent 
powerful weapons because the mental attitude, this is the mental attitude we need to have in this world. We are resting in what he has already done for us. We are resting in what he has already done for us. Did you hear the end of Psalm 46 that Brandon read to us? After all this war and and the voice of the Lord melting nations and him bending the beer and breaking the spear, you know what it said? Did you catch, did you pick up on the last verse of that psalm? It says, be still and know that I am God. Do Do you know your part in the fight? Do you know your part in the battle? Do you know your part as you're seated here dining with the king? Because, man, every, every fiber in our being, if, if, you're a, if you're a fight guy, fight or flight, right? If you, if you are geared towards fighting, you want to push away. You want to get up from this table and take on the enemy, all in your own strength. And the devil would love for that to happen because you will never overcome him one on whatever. But when you're here, when you're resting, when you're still, when you're grateful, he does the fighting. The war is his. The fight is his. The thing about tables, the thing about feast in Scripture is this. The enemy always gets blown up right after a biblical meal. For the Passover, Is it was the Egyptians who got torched after they symbolized their meal together for the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. It was Satan's plot to kill and destroy Jesus that got blown up in his face when Christ arose three days later. For the marriage supper, we already talked about it. It's going to be death itself. It's going to be Satan himself. It's going to be sin itself that gets cast out and thrown out forever into the eternal lake of fire. Every time there's a biblical feast, a biblical meal, the devil gets blown up. And you think he's aware of that? Do you think he knows that? Do you think he's passionate about getting you to push away from the table? Do you think he is consumed and obsessed with whispering lies to you to get you up and away from the table? Do you think he is seeking to still kill and destroy the invitation for you to dine here in the first place? This is how it works for us. This is how it works. I'm just going to run through a couple of these things and hope, hopefully they'll be helpful for you if I can find them. Circumstances. Circumstances tell you about this table. It doesn't feel like it, so it must not be real. You don't understand my day-to-day. Like, how, how in the world could I ever have this kind of mindset when my boss is criticizing me when my family has given up on me, when my kids won't even talk to me, I'm struggling with this addiction. No, you don't understand. My circumstances, my circumstances do not allow for me to have this type of mentality. And the devil is getting you to do this. This is not real. This can't be, this can't be real. It doesn't feel like it, so it must not be true. I don't know what I was doing here in the first place. My, my, my week is too hard. Circumstances, they'll get you when what you're surrounded by doesn't feel like a feast. Will you have the eyes of faith to know that you are there? How about shame? Shame tells you you don't deserve to be here anyway. 
You don't have on the right clothes. Your outfit is not correct. Shame tries to tell you, you don't deserve it. You are unworthy. Shame tries to put you in a famine mindset. Like, um, this, this, this is like an area designated for kings, for royalty, maybe. Princes, princesses, tiaras. But you know this is not quite right for you. You, you wouldn't even know... I mean, which fork and which spoon do you pick up first? Do you know which, which glass to drink out of? I didn't think so. That, this is not for you. You don't even know which side of the plate the fork belongs on. You, this is not your table. You need to go hit the buffet. You need to go instantly gratify at the fast food drive-thru. But this can't be you. You're unworthy for here. You know what fear tells you? Fear tells you, is this a mirage? This is an illusion, right? I'm not even going to get too close because the closer I get, the more I'm going to understand and realize that this isn't even real. The, the enemy, the enemy must have set this up. This is like a, this is like a, an oasis in the desert. The closer I get to what I think is water, satisfaction, fulfillment, rest, it's just not there. Fear tells you it's probably not even real, so don't risk it. How about pride? We talked about pride a little bit earlier, but pride is going to tell you this is irresponsible. I mean, do you see the enemy? Do you see the numbers? The math doesn't add up for you to be here. Who's going to fight the enemy anyway? Who's going to take Derek on? If you're here and you're dining and you're resting with the shepherd, who's fighting the battle? Who's taking it to the enemy, right? And so, ever so slightly, you know what the enemy is whispering? You better get up and fight. You've been here long enough. Get up and fight. Get up and fight. You, have you had enough? Just, just grab something else real quick. Just grab, just grab something real quick, and then you need to get up and fight because there's a lot to do. This is irresponsible for me to be here too long. I shouldn't have chosen a nut. This is going to take a while. Pride tells you you got to battle the fight in your own strength, and you better get busy because it's not going to fight itself. I'm spraying. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> Who's going to challenge the enemy? And pride will try to get you to push away from the table, all the while not understanding that it is the act of dining with the shepherd that is the fight. This is the war. The moment we realize who we are, what our identity is, that is the fight. Unthankfulness will tell you, that candle's leaning. You didn't bring raspberries? What kind of feast? I, I mean, you didn't ask me, but had you have asked me, I probably could have set it up a little better. Water, where's the sliced fruit in the water? You didn't bring mozzarella? That's my favorite cheese. Surely you would have known that. So this is an unthankfulness in your heart. We'll try to get you to say, you could have set it up better. The timing's not quite right. The unthankfulness, the ungratitude in your heart will try to get you to push away from the table. Push away. Sink back into the shadows. You could have done it better, so why enjoy it at all? You know what anxiety tells you? How in the world am I going to eat surrounded by people? How in the Anxiety will tell you, are they going to hear me chew? Because that's embarrassing. If I were to tear into this bread... 
take a piece. Why are y'all watching me? <laughs> Anxiety. It gets us to slowly push away. Uh, I don't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. This was, this was great. This was fun. I, I mean, I, I love, I love decided church. I love God. Don't get me wrong, but I just can't do crowds. I can't do people. And if you're calling me to dine with you in the presence of my enemy, everybody's going to be watching me eat. I wouldn't enjoy it in front of so many people. So I slowly push away and no one will notice. You know what lust tells you? Oh, lust, it's a tricky one. Lust will tell you, hey, we got Twinkies at the kids' table. At the kids' table, it's all desserts. We'll have way more fun over there, you know? Come on. This, this is like fruit and vegetables and stuff. Like, we've got Cosmo brownies. And lust will try to tell you that this would never be able to completely satisfy or gratify. So jump ship and come to our table instead. Busyness. You know Mary and Martha in the Bible? Mary and Martha, one of them was sitting at the feet of Jesus and one was busy serving what she thought was Jesus, was herself. So busyness, Martha syndrome, it'll try to tell you that now's not a good time, but you know what, God, you can fix me a little to go. Here, I don't, I don't have time to stay. I, I love you. You're the, you are the shepherd of my souls. I'm just going to grab a grape real quick and maybe a, a rolled little cold cut there, and I'm going to head out. Maybe I'll have time later, but I am so busy serving at church right now. You don't understand my sprout schedule. You don't understand. I got to help people get safely across the street, so I don't have time to dine right now. I got to push away. Could you just do me up a little to-go box? Just stop by and grab something on your way, but don't stay. Don't stay long enough to realize who you are. Don't stay long enough to be a threat. Don't stay long enough to where it begins to settle in your heart that stillness is the weapon. Religion. This is probably my favorite. Religion will tell you, by the looks of everybody else who got the invite, this must not be my table. Oh, she was invited? How in the world did she get an invite to the same table I'm supposed to sit at? Because did you know? Oh, he's there? Mm. Uh, pass. Hard pass. We must have got mixed up on the invite list because there's no way that I and they are supposed to be at the same table dining. So religion will tell you, it'll cause judgment in your heart. Say, well, if they're at the table, if they're at the same feast that I'm called to be at, then we're mixed up on the wrong invitation list. And then my favorite, you got a phone? Can I have it? Hypocrisy. This is my favorite. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with you. I'm not gonna look at nothing. <laughs> look at this. Hey, are there any teenage girls in the house? Because this man had his phone zipped up in his pocket, put away. You're prime real estate, just so you know. Hey, second row in the middle. What's your name? Caden. How old are you? 14. Caden, 14. Phone was away for the sermon. Do you know what hypocrisy tells you? This is the cleverest one of all. Oh, my gosh. Do you see this spread? Dude, God, can I tag you in this for later? 
I got to show my friends. If they see this, they will freak out. Hey, did you, I did, brunch with God. Check it out. Did you see that? Incredible. I know I really did. I had lunch with God. Like, I mean, I didn't stay for very long because I have a lot to do, but um, like I stayed long enough to grab the picture and post it. So it must be real. And hypocrisy, it'll never let you enjoy the real thing because you're too worried about how it appears to everybody else. I want to appear that I'm resting with God when I am burning the candle at both ends. I want it to appear that I'm trusting. I know just what to say. I know all the verses. You'll see me on Sunday. But if you ever caught me in the quietness, you know that I am stressed out. I am overwhelmed. I am insecure. I am wandering. And so hypocrisy will get you here long enough to take a picture, but just post it and back out. As long as you can tag God so everybody sees that you were with them, it was real. And listen, the most important part of this service is the choice of whether you're going to accept this mindset or not, because it's real. If you're a follower in Jesus this morning, if you're a believer, this is as real as it gets. You are a son or daughter of the king. You have been fully provided for. Every longing, every desire, every need, every want of your heart is fulfilled in your king. But the enemy, the devil, he will continue to whisper. He will continue to tell you lies to get you to push away from the reality of who you are in Christ. Because he knows if you were to ever sit here, he's got no chance. He knows that the, the battle is won when you sit and rest and quiet your heart and trust in the Almighty to be your refuge. He knows that he has got to flee when you mention his name. I'm reminded of the Passover in closing. The Passover was this beautiful meal that was set up in the Old Testament. And it was elaborate. It was a symbolic family meal. It was shared in silent urgency as the angel of death passed over households under the blood to bring judgment upon the homes of their enemies. And do you know how they were designed? This is how they had to go. They had to have their shoes on. So some of y'all would already be disqualified because y'all don't even know how to keep your shoes on past, the, past your front porch. They had to keep their shoes on and they had to keep their staff in their hand. In other words, as they're dining, they were to be ready to go. And here's the thing. We look at the Passover and we think, man, they had to be ready to go because they had to be ready to fight the Egyptians. Like, this is a huge army and they could have descended upon them in a moment and all the Israelites would have been wiped out. Incorrect. You know what, why they were to dine with urgency, with their shoes on, ready to go? Because God was about to blow up the Egyptians and on their way out in moment of deliverance, God said, I want you to take everything they got. I want you to plunder. I want you to drain them on your way out. It says it in Exodus 12, 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have whatever they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. God is saying, I'm actually going to turn around what everybody else meant for evil, and I'm going to work it to your good 
if you'll sit there because what I'm doing is delivering you. While you're eating, I'm blowing up the enemy. While you're dining with me, I'm torching them. While you're resting with me, I'm fighting your battles beyond your awareness. And when they got to the Red Sea and then they felt surrounded again because the enemy was trying to get them to push away from the table. Moses, you just brought us here to die. What does Moses say once again? He builds another table and he says specifically, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he's going to work for you this day. You only need to remain silent. Even when the Israelites got tempted to push away, God said, no, 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 no. No, we had a good thing going. Come sit down. Come rest. Your enemy started whispering lies to you, and you got scared, and you wanted to push away. But I'm trying to tell you, if you stay still and trust me, if you rest in me in the middle of your trial, if you feast in the middle of your temptations and tribulations, I will fight for you. Where are you at, brother and sister? This is not a sermon for you to go home and think about. It's just not. This is not a sermon for you to take a friend to coffee over. This requires an immediate response. What's your mentality going to be? Who's going to do the fighting this week? Are you going to give in to the enemy's lies and push away from the identity and the security that has been provided for you already? Not because of what you've done or how you've performed, but because of what Jesus has done. He, is, he has laid it out extravagantly, and he's, and he's really doing a couple of things. He is taking it to the enemy, and he's also providing for everything you need beyond what you could possibly even think or imagine, immeasurably more. Ephesians 3.20 is on this table. What are you going to do? Are you going to fight? Are you going to flight? There's a third option. There's a better way. Feasting. Feasting. You may not be able to change everything in a minute. But in one minute, in one response, in one act of choosing this table, everything will start to change. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we don't have a lot of time because I went far too long. But we do have enough time for you to respond to this invitation to dine with the shepherd. Will you feast with him? Maybe for you it means coming up to the middle here and just placing a hand on the table signifying, symbolizing the fact that I'm choosing this mentality. It is a reality because I know Jesus, but in order for the power to be made real in my life, I need to recognize, I need to sit down, I need to rest, I need to be still, I need to feast. Who here has been shackled by one of those things, pride, lust, anxiety, worry, busyness, hypocrisy, religion. One of those whispered lies has been effective so far in getting you to push away. But today you're saying, nope, I'm at the table. I know who I am. 
I've been provided for. All of my satisfying and longing needs have been extravagantly met beyond belief. And I, I am going to declare war on the enemy by feasting in his face. If that's you, brother or sister, you need to lock in your identity. Know who you are because of whose you are. You can come up here and put a hand on the table symbolizing that. You can find prayer with a partner in the back that's got a yellow lanyard. You can come down here at the front, but whatever it is, let's, let's lock it down now. Let's, let's respond appropriately now so that when we head out these doors, we're still feasting. When we get in our car and, and go home today, we're still feasting. When I clock in on Monday morning for a job I don't like, for a boss I don't like, I am still feasting. When I don't get the call from my son or daughter that I was hoping for, I'm still feasting. When my marriage isn't all put back together like the way I thought, I'm still feasting. When I lash out at my kids and I lose my temper a little bit, I'm still feasting. When my anxiety comes over me and I don't feel like I can handle another thing, I'm just completely overwhelmed, I'm still feasting. Jesus, at the mention of your name, the enemy flees. Thank you for setting a table up for me in the presence of my enemies. You move as the Lord prompts you. In Jesus' name we pray.